Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. All right, tell me something. We're going to start with you guys over here. What's something we celebrate in our community? You got to get me better in this day. What was that? Cotton. I couldn't hear. Cotton. Cotton. Yes, we do celebrate cotton around here. All right, this section. What's something we celebrate, Gary? Fourth of July. Something else. Not Jeremy. Somebody else. Sorry, Sue. Christmas. Christmas. All right. Over here. Thanksgiving. What else? Founders Day. <laughs> I mean, we got all kinds of things we celebrate, right? We got uh, quinceañeras, we got birthdays, we got anniversaries, we got holidays, we got uh, the, when the team wins. In fact, you know, uh, ASU won. Uh, and, and the, no, did they win? Yes. Yeah, okay, ASU won. It was close. And U of A won. They broke their record-setting losing streak. Woo! <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, you celebrate when your team wins. You celebrate when you get a promotion at work. You celebrate when you get out of the hospital. You celebrate when you're through with physical therapy. How many of you have celebrated when you finish physical therapy? Raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. We we that's great when you're done with that. And so there's lots of things that we celebrate. Lots of things that we get excited about. And this morning we're going to be reading in Luke chapter 10 about uh, the disciples that Jesus sent out to minister for him and how they got really excited about something. And Jesus said, listen, that's not the thing to get excited about. Here's the thing to get excited about, that your name is written in heaven. So if you have a Bible with you, open or click to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be reading there in just a moment. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Now, when you're reading through uh, some passages of Scripture, there's a passage that says that God will not blot out your name. And I believe the Bible very clearly teaches when you trust Christ, you receive him as your Savior, you become part of his forever family. You're no longer uh, on your way to hell. You're now on your way to heaven, and God adopts you, makes you part of his family. So you'll be in heaven forever. So the idea that I get from studying all the passages that relate to it is that, as Peter said, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So everybody has their name there for a provisional setting, and if they reject Christ, then he blots out their name. And so it's like having a reservation and then you don't show up, you lose your reservation. You, uh, and so God wants everyone to be in heaven, I believe, and those who respond to the Father's drawing and by grace through faith receive Christ, their names are written in permanent ink in heaven. So look in Luke chapter 10. In uh, verse number one, he says, After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. He established a group of disciples, 12 guys that would serve as disciples. And now he makes a larger group, another 70. 
And then he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. So he sent them out as kind of his advance team. He gave them assignments. There were 70, they were going two by two. So he sent out 35 teams of people and those people were gonna go out. Now, some people, like I, when I served in the military, I never faced combat. Even though I was in the Marine Corps, I wasn't serving during a time of war and the little con uh, conflicts that we had then, my job was considered support. Although we did almost get sent to Nicaragua and I remember being so disappointed that we didn't, they called it off and we didn't go to Nicaragua back then. And now, you know, 20 years later, I'm thinking, wait, I, I was disappointed I didn't get to go get shot at? The Marines are really good at motivating people for combat. But, but you know, when, when uh, many of us served in a support team and we helped those who were serving, even today, many of the people in the military don't actually go into combat. And those that do, there are some forward observers and there are forward strike teams. And that's the deadliest job because you are going into the region that no one has conquered yet and you're the first squad in. And so that's the most difficult thing. And Jesus is sending these guys out as his forward observers, the forward squad, the ones to prepare the way because he's gonna come and he's gonna preach in those cities. Now, he doesn't tell us exactly which cities he sent them to. He just said, I sent them out two by two to go into those cities to prepare the way. Then he says in verse two, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now we're gonna pause right there. We're gonna look at a couple of things. First of all, I want you to see Jesus' prayer request. The prayer request. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Now, we're not just talking about plants, although we were celebrating cotton where we are, and, and there's some I go walking through the farm fields around here, and uh, there's some cotton that's really getting ready. It's, it's puffing up, and they're about ready to bring the crop dusters and that in to spray to cause the plant to shrivel up so it's easier to harvest the cotton. Uh, we have some folks in our church that actually used to pull the cotton out by hand uh, in the old days. And I did that once when I was a kid. I thought it'd be cool. It wasn't scratched all up. Those who actually did it regularly, their hands and arms were cut up from from the cotton plant. But but God, we we mostly harvest it with machines, and so we, we celebrate that kind of harvest. What kind of harvest was Jesus talking about? Was Jesus saying, "Look at the wheat field; it looks about ready to harvest"? He was talking about the harvest of people. In fact, in John chapter 4, he says this in response to the woman he met at the well who then trusted in him and then went back to the city and talked to people and encouraged them to come out and hear Jesus, that he was the Messiah. And as those people are coming out of the village, Jesus said, look for the fields are white already under harvest. He wasn't talking about the crops. He was talking about the people. So the prayer request is to get people out involved in ministry. 
get people who are helping and serving and making a difference. I was looking up some statistics and every month in America, 250 pastors leave the ministry. Some of them for retirement, some for health reasons, some quit because being a pastor, you're, you, you get, anytime anybody's upset with anything at church or upset with God or unhappy with their circumstances, they get mad at the pastor. That just happens. Uh, we get sometimes, I, I got an anonymous letter in the mailbox once, uh, complaining that I had mentioned that I had been a Marine because uh, no pastor should have ever served in anything that violent. And, uh, you know, uh, people just fuss sometimes. But sometimes it's because the average pastors now, the average age of pastors in the United States is over 50. So over the next 25 years, we're going to lose a substantial number of pastors. I mean, I don't think I'll be serving as a senior pastor anyway, 25 years from now. I'm hoping we all go up together a lot sooner than that. Yeah. But, but if the Lord waits and I live, I don't think I'll be able to handle the schedule that I have now, 25 years from now. But, but there's, there's people we need to pray that new workers will step up. Missionaries are retiring in record numbers. It's more difficult to get young people and, and a younger uh, middle adult, younger age of middle-aged adults. That we used to have a lot of guys in their 30s and 40s surrendering to the ministry. That's not happening anymore. If they're not surrendering to serve in their teenage years or their early 20s, they're just too busy with life and they're not going out and serving the Lord. Uh, so uh, there's missionaries retiring in record numbers. And it's harder to be a missionary today than it was 20, 30 years ago, because when you go and say, I'm from the United States and I'm here to help you, a lot of countries in the world hate America. Now, part of that is because Americans sometimes are pretty obnoxious, especially the ones that get the microphones. But, but part of it is just that they're jealous of the freedom that God has given us. And so they don't want to listen to our missionaries. I remember reading about a lady in Afghanistan, and she said, why, are, why is the United States here trying to tell us what to do? We have been around for a lot longer than they have been around. And so we're the upstart new kids on the block uh, uh, compared to some countries. But there's also work in our community that you can do where you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary. You can just step up and help people. There's people you can visit, people you can help, people you can talk with and make a difference. Pray for workers, for pastors, for missionaries, for evangelists, for deacons, for faithful men and faithful women to serve in churches around the world because there's a great need. Uh, I heard yesterday that uh, a church in Arizona up in uh, Holbrook just closed their doors. Their pastor died during the COVID surge and they, they just, the church closed. They lost their pastor and now they lost their church. And in fact, across the country, if this year is statistically similar to other years, there will have been 3,000 churches that closed so far this year. Now, some of those merge with other churches. It makes two weak churches. They get one strong church out of it, but 3,000 churches. And some of those are attempted new churches. Uh, twice in the 20 years we've lived in the house we're in, 
23 years, there have been a church started in the school by where we live. And both times the church didn't make it two years. So some of those are new startups that didn't make it, but that's a lot of churches and pastors going out. So pray for faithful workers in our church and also in the church worldwide. And secondly, I want you to see their opportunity. Their opportunity. Look at the beginning of verse 4. The harvest truly is what? Great! You gotta say it like Tony the Tiger. They're great, right? The harvest is great. It's not like the harvest is pretty good. See, we live in a time when people aren't as responsive to the gospel as they used to be. There's more antagonism toward the gospel, but there's still people that God is working in. The Father's drawing them, as Jesus said in John chapter six. The Father's drawing them, the Holy Spirit's working on their heart, Jesus is waiting for them to trust him. And sometimes he's waiting for you and me to go out there and talk to people and encourage them. We have unsaved people all around us. So you can strike up conversations. You can befriend somebody. You can uh, be a tutor. You can volunteer somewhere. Uh, you can volunteer at the food bank or the hospital or the boys and girls clubs or some way. You can help people in your neighborhood. I had an opportunity to talk to somebody about the Lord just because I was pulling weeds uh, not up on the street. When the street we live on, I had to go past that, the next street, and out to the main street uh, along Arizona. There's an ugly wall in our neighborhoods back behind the other wall. And, and so all along there, there were all kinds of weeds and people let their animals or loose animals mess in there. And so I went out with a shovel and a hoe and a rake and I raked it all up and a guy came out to help me. And we talked a little about why I was doing this. Well, because I live in here. God wants us to help and, and make a difference in our community. And I got to talk to him about the Lord. I'm hoping to follow up on that with him. But you can influence people. You can disciple them toward Christ. Our assignment is to make disciples. It is both our privilege and our responsibility. So go out. The harvest is ready. What's needed is workers. Now we can get so busy serving in the church that we're not trying to minister in the community. And that's unhealthy. So do something to help people to open doors, to create connections so that you might be able to share the gospel with people, their opportunity. Now, third thing we're gonna look at is their challenges, their challenges. Uh, look in the next verse, in verse number three, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Do you think that was encouraging for them? <laughs> hey guys, I'm gonna send you out like a lamb. Have you ever been around a lamb? I mean, not just big sheep, but around a little lamb. And, and lambs, they're, they're like spindly legs, and there's almost nothing to them. Uh, and and they, they got their little, and they're cute, and, they're, and they flop around. And if they get attacked, they cannot defend themselves at all. If a wolf comes, the lamb becomes dinner. The shepherd or the sheepdog or bigger sheep have to try and defend the lamb. And so Jesus said, 
I'm sending you out like lambs. How many of you like food? How many of you would like to be food? No. I don't want any critter eating you. So he says, go out like lambs among wolves. But see, they had to trust him. The lambs can't defend themselves. The lambs trust someone else to defend them. And he wanted them to trust him. So there's going to be challenges. From the beginning, ministry has had challenges. There has never been an easy time to serve Jesus Christ. Never in the history of the world has there been an easy time to serve Christ. So we're going through maybe an increasingly difficult time, but it's never been easy. And you're going to be opposed by Satan and by people who are listening to Satan and his demons. You're going to go out among wolves. There are going to be those who stand against you. Some of them just because they don't understand, but some of them because they hate the Bible message. They don't want somebody to tell them their lifestyle is wrong. They don't want somebody to tell them they're a sinner. They don't want somebody to tell them they need to repent and change the direction of their life and follow Christ. They need to hear it, but they don't want to. But sometimes the people who are the most vocal opposing Christ are the ones the Holy Spirit and the Father are really working on. I know as a teenager, I was really an angry young guy, and I, I felt the Holy Spirit bringing conviction, and I was just angry about it, and I hated going to church, and, and I was antagonistic, and then when I got saved, I stopped being that angry person that I was, uh, because God was trying to bring me to a point where I could look in the mirror and say, you are a sinner, and I just didn't want to do that. So don't give up on people, don't pressure them, but don't give up on people just because they're antagonistic. And some people mistakenly believe, sorry, I, I was reading the wrong thing. There will be those who intentionally try to undermine your ministry and discourage you. They will intentionally try. I even had somebody who had been a member of this church before tell me they got upset that they couldn't do what they wanted to do. The deacons and I said no, and they got upset, and he told me, I'm going to destroy you. That's a wonderful Christian attitude, isn't it? Praise the Lord, it didn't work. He's hopefully with the Lord now. I know he's not on earth now. Uh, but why would you want to destroy another person? But there are people who will want to do that. So now look what he says in verse number four. Carry neither money, I'm sorry, carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. So the first part of this is no provisions. This is a challenge. Go out there, no provisions, just go and do. Now, this was a specific instruction for them on one occasion. In fact, later in Luke chapter 22, uh, Luke says, or Luke records what Jesus said, that he told them to... Uh, Take their money bag or their wallet, that's what they used back then, a money bag, and a knapsack and a sword. He told them, take all those things with you. So in this particular instance in Luke 10, he told them not to. This is not God's plan forever. 
If you feel called to be a missionary, to go to another country, God doesn't tell you, well, you can't take any money or any stuff with you. Just hop on the plane and go. No, you can ship stuff ahead to be there when you get there. Hopefully it will be. In some countries, it doesn't always work. And, and you can take money that you can access from a bank, maybe. There are some countries that don't have a banking system. Uh, so, you know, you, you can go and you can take and you can do that. Hey, Aaron, would you do me a favor and close those blinds back there? I got a lot of glare coming off the car. And I don't like being glared at. <laughs> okay, so uh, thank you. Uh, some people mistakenly believe that to follow the Lord, you have to take a vow of poverty. Now, I will tell you this. It's wrong to try and get rich serving the Lord. It's wrong to have a love of money no matter what your job is. Uh, but, but you don't have to take a vow, a vow of poverty to serve the Lord. You just go and do. So in this particular circumstances, don't take any provision. Not a spare set of sandals, not spare clothes, not food, not money. Just go. So now you're one of these guys, right? Uh, and you're called to go. And he's going to say, I'm sending you out. You're a land among wolves. Don't take any food. Don't take any money. But they did it because they trusted him. And sometimes the Holy Spirit may lead you to sacrifice greatly. Do it. If you know the Lord's leading you, just follow him. What's the second part about this in this verse, in verse 4? He says, greet no one along the road. That's a little odd. But he didn't want them to have any distractions. No distractions. In other words, he wanted them to act like the people in New York City, right? <laughs> Don't talk to anybody. Just press along. Um, this world, this would have been very shocking behavior in their culture. It's, it's surprising enough at ours. I mean, if I was walking down the road and Todd was walking down the road and I said, hey, Todd, and he just frowned and just kept walking, I'd think, man, something's upset with Todd. wonder what he's upset with. I bet he's mad at my wife. We would automatically think something's wrong. Now, in their culture, it was even more important to be hospitable. In their culture, that was a, a sign of cultural acceptance, and it was cultural norm. And they made provision in their house to help provide meals and sometimes a place to stay for people who were traveling through because there weren't hotels and there weren't McDonald's. So they had to have some place to get food and some, well, <laughs> there's an argument whether you get food at McDonald's, but we won't go there. Uh, uh, but uh, they make great fries, right? Uh, you, you could go and you could get Stop. You couldn't do that in their culture. And so Jesus is saying, while you're on the road, don't greet anybody. Just go. You go to that city and go. Now, maybe he sent out with 35 teams to 35 cities. Maybe he sent them out to 70 cities. Go to this one first and then this one. I don't know. But he sent them out specifically. And their lack of greeting was part of their ministry and part of their message. As they walked by, people would know, this is different. They're not greeting people. They're just walking. They're just moving. They're just going. And maybe they were walking in step, you know, like in the military. When you 
march in step. Maybe that's what they were doing. And they were just going and there was an intensity. And so that was part of the message. Then you have the message itself. Look in verse 9. The message. Now, don't you think the extroverts among them said, you can't talk to anybody on the way? I bet the extroverts in that group were really going nuts. The introverts were cool. I'm fine with that. Uh, but, but the extroverts, they want to talk to people. They can't stand not to. So look in verse number 7. He says, uh, I'm sorry, look in verse number 5. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. They go into a city, they go to a house, and they try and get a place to stay in that house. There were no hotels, that was what they did. And then he says, say peace to this house, verse 6. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. What does that mean? Well, the Lord gave them spiritual intuition to where they could say peace on this house and they could sense whether it was be responding back to them. It wasn't that you can go somewhere and say peace to you and if it doesn't happen, you can smack them. That's not what he's saying. But he gave them the spiritual intuition they could understand and appreciate this. And then he says in verse seven, and remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give for the laborer is worthy of his wages. So they would go in, they would stay with people and they would, um, the people would take care of them. That was the norm. Now, in, in our culture today, when we send a missionary out, we try and have the missionary be fully supported so that they're not needing money from the people. We want them to understand they can't buy salvation. They can't buy a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the missionary goes fully supported to minister to them. Now, eventually, they get taught, they give to the work of the Lord, and the goal of every missionary church is to get out of missionary status. They want to grow enough they can be self-supporting. But when they start, they do it differently today because there have been missionaries who went out and took advantage of people. And especially on the tribal reservations, uh, some of our missionaries were terrible. Now, we help support some ministries on tribal land, and, and they do a great job, and they honor God, and they serve, but they don't try and make a profit off the people they're trying to minister to. Uh, so, uh, look now in verse number 9, uh, 8, sorry. Whatever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. And so, we had missionary friends who told us some of the stories of things they've eaten. Uh, some have eaten bugs, um, and some have eaten rats, fried rat, and dogs, and cats, and, and uh, uh, you know what, we're, we're having a harvest banquet coming up, <laughs> a picnic coming up, and, and you, when you step out that door, you can go to the left and sign up on the board for the picnic and what you're going to bring, and on the right is the harvest banquet thing. Please don't bring any of those things, okay? <laughs> You know, if you like fried rat at home, enjoy it at home. Uh, don't bring it. But but he told them, eat whatever set before them. Now, I would have a hard time being a missionary, because that's what missionaries have to do. Uh, I have some diet restrictions, but there's also a lot of food that I just really can't stand. Uh, and, and I would have a really hard time doing that. I'm thankful God called me into a ministry 
here in the United States where fussy eaters can get along just fine, but, but going to another country, that would be an insult. And so he told them, just eat whatever there. And if they were in a city and they were to shake, if they were rejected in a city, they were to shake the dust off their feet. So uh, verse 10, whatever city you enter, if they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, the very dust of your city which cling to us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. So that was their message, to tell them that the kingdom of God was coming near. They were preparing the way for Jesus. And so he, he told them to say that. And then look in verse 16. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So when you're serving the Lord and you're trying to witness for people, if they reject your message, they are rejecting Jesus Christ and God the Father. Because they're the ones who gave this message. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, he wanted them to understand their opportunity of repentance was now. When I was a kid, I was I grew up unsaved, but I had to go to church because mom and dad made me. And uh, so I eventually got saved and eventually started enjoying church and started learning. It's amazing what you can learn when you start paying attention. And and then I, I grew in the Lord and eventually God called me to be a pastor. But uh, but sometimes when, when I was a kid, I really hated going to church. And I had a Sunday school teacher um, tell me after I was a Christian and after I was a pastor that when I was in her class, there were times she prayed that I would be sick that day because I caused trouble. Now, it's not funny. It's sinful to cause trouble. Uh, but that's who I was back then. And I praise God that he changed me. But the message was prepare for Jesus. The kingdom of God is near. Now, when they went through town, they didn't just say this message and disappear. Jesus was going to that town. So he sent them to that town, and, and he sent them ahead of time to talk and warn them because Jesus was going to come through. And you'd say, the kingdom of God is near, and then Jesus would come in. The kingdom of God is here when Jesus was there. Now, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we kind of think about the believers in heaven and the believers on earth and the, you know, the kingdom of God and all the people. But in their culture, in their day, when they talked about the kingdom of God, it was different. They were thinking about the Messiah, the one who would come. They were thinking about the, the anointed one of God who was going to come. So when they said the kingdom of God is near, the people who were genuinely trying to follow God, their natural thought process would be the Messiah is coming. And then who came in? Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed of God. And so they, he were, they were preparing the people to hear the message of Jesus. And you know, that's what we do too. We prepare people to hear and respond to Jesus Christ. You know what? People can hate you and love Jesus, and that should be okay with you. 
As long as they love him, you'll see him in heaven. And in heaven, guess what? They'll like you. We'll all get along in heaven. Some people we might not get along with till heaven, but we'll all get along in heaven. And so the Bible says, if possible, live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible. But you just tell people about Jesus and encourage them to trust and follow him. And then Jesus talks about the judgment. Look in verse 12. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. The city that rejects the message and the messengers, Jesus said it would be more tolerable for Sodom in that day. Sodom was a city that God rained fire and brimstone out of heaven and destroyed the city for their great wickedness. And God said it'll be better for that better for Sodom in the day of judgment than for that city that rejected them. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for the mighty works which were done in you. If they had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades, to hell, to the place of torment. He talks about the judgment. And when he says that day, that's the judgment day. That's the final judgment day. That day, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom because the people of Sodom heard less truth. The people of Sodom didn't hear the truth about Jesus Christ because he wasn't on earth yet. He was still God the Son in heaven, but he was not the Son of God on earth yet. And so the people of Sodom had less truth that they rejected. And so the Bible actually teaches that I don't know how hell can get worse. You're in flames and it's awful, but it's worse for those who reject more truth. So some of you kids, if you're hearing the gospel message, you need to trust and believe in Jesus Christ. If you reject it, then your judgment in hell could be worse than other people because you have heard the truth of Jesus. We need to trust and follow him. Now, look at verse 17. The 70 returned with what? With joy! What does it mean to return with joy? All right, all right, you guys over here, pretend you look joyful. Everybody else look at them. Do they look joyful? Do they do a good enough job? All right, but with joy! Do you think they were coming back? Eh, that was a long walk. No, they were with joy. They might have been skipping, singing zippity-doo-dum. You know? They were just happy. They were thrilled that God was at work. And they came back overjoyed. They were filled with joy. There were smiles. There were high fives. Uh, there was fist bumps, maybe chest bumps. I don't know if they did that stuff then. But, but look, they came back with rejoicing and with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, that's a cause for rejoicing. There is a cause for rejoicing. They said the demons are subject to us in your name. They were amazed at what they had been able to do. There was rejoicing. There was great joy over what they had been able to do. But notice that they said they're subject to us in your name. See, if you're not serving in the name of Jesus, he doesn't promise the joy that you would have. 
they weren't joyful because, dude, I told that demon to go and he went, I'm great. You know the way some people talk about the ministry? It's like, God desperately needs that person. God needs people to serve him. You could be one of them, but God needs people. There was joy and rejoicing. Can you click that next slide, Tim? Just the cause of joy and rejoicing. And, and there's, there's this reason why we have this, because we serve in the name of Jesus. So, um, last Thursday night, we had Oana, and we had different people serving in different clubs, and there's a club meeting over there, and down there, and in here, and in there. We have those walls closed, and, and we had different things going on, and, and we were teaching the scripture, and encouraging people to trust and follow Jesus Christ. Now, we had it one time in the past. We had an Awana leader teaching a message to a bunch of young kids, and we had 10 kids trust Christ that night. Now, was that because we had the most awesome teacher in the world? No, I wasn't in there that night. <laughs> it wasn't because we had an awesome teacher. It's because we were talking about Jesus. And those people responded to the message about Jesus, and they trusted Christ as their Savior. So that's the cause for rejoicing. The greatest rejoicing is for the greatest reason. Don't celebrate what God has accomplished through you. Celebrate that you are part of God's family in heaven, that your name is written in heaven. That's the cause for great celebration. So Jesus said uh, in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. When Satan was cast out, I saw him fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. He doesn't give that to us. He gave that to them. So don't run out barefoot and say, I'm going to step on a scorpion and see what happens. I don't think you'll like the result. Then he says, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing shall hurt you. You know, I got hurt. Uh, was it a week ago, Saturday, we were at the park with Flagstaffians? Uh, we have a couple of our kids live in Flagstaff. So. And, and we were at the park with them, and they all climbed on this big thing, and it was, you know, a couple stories high, and they could hang at different levels, and they're all in there, and they wanted me to spin it. And so I grabbed this thing, and I'd spin, and I had to get the right rhythm down. So I was going like this, grabbing and pulling, and grabbing and pulling, and grabbing and pulling, and just going faster and faster and faster and faster. And somehow I drove this thumbnail into this finger. But I, I just dug it right in there. Blood went everywhere. You know, and my oldest daughter said, Yeah, you can hurt yourself in the strangest ways. <laughs> you know, but they couldn't get hurt by anything. They weren't going to stub their toes. They weren't going to sprain their ankles. They weren't going to fall and break an arm. They weren't going to break a finger. If people threw things at them, it wouldn't hit them. They had power over all of that. And then look what he says. And uh, in verse number, back in verse 21, or verse, sorry, verse 19. Uh, Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. 
Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. That's why we should rejoice. That's the main cause of rejoicing. So what is so impressive about having your name in heaven? I'm going to go through a few things real quickly. Just think about how great it is if you are one of God's kids and you know that when you die, you go to heaven. If you're here this morning and you don't know that, please don't go away. Let us show you from Scripture how you can be saved. But when your name is written in heaven, you are accepted. You are forgiven. Death is defeated. I have watched my brother die and my mom die. I was in the house when my dad died. I've watched friends die. I've watched people on the side of the road die. And you know what? All of those who trusted Christ as Savior, I know I'll see them again. They're more alive instantly. The moment they die, they're more alive than they ever were on earth. Death is defeated. Life is eternal. You have hope. Hope beyond the grave. You have a home. You have a forever family. You will forever be one of God's kids. You will be with him forever. Nothing and no one can bump you off God's list. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, Paul said in Romans 8. And, and Jesus said, my father and I will keep you in our hands and no one can remove you from our hands. Nothing and no one can bump you off that list. Also, every problem on earth. How many of you have had a problem at some point this year? Anybody? Every problem on earth is temporary. Every single one. You say, well, I have a fatal illness. That's temporary if you know Jesus. You'll be healed and with him in heaven. And you will live in the presence of the Lord who loves you and gave himself for you. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's what should be bring great joy. That's what you should be excited about. Your name is written in heaven. And when God writes your name, it stays written. You belong to him with him forever. If you're here this morning and you have never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, then don't leave. Let us show you how to trust Christ as your Savior. If you're watching online or you're listening to the podcast later on, if you want to know how to be saved, contact us at Victory Baptist Church at Casparin and let us show you how to trust Christ as your Savior. Because the most important decision in life is to respond to the offer of salvation that God gives you through Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.